welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, boys and girls. Happy Thursday. Welcome into Soccer Morning. We are live and on the air. Today's show is a good one. We have lined up a fantastic program for you on a Thursday morning. We're going to talk some soccer, believe it or not. We're going to talk some soccer uh, here in the United States and around the world. Whatever is on your mind, we'll certainly try to get in some phone calls later in the program as well. But this is one of those two guest shows, a double whammy of a guest situation on our hands here. Giannis Mihalik, uh, ESPN, Fox Sports, all over the place calling games, doing his soccer thing. will join us in a couple of minutes to go over the Champions League. We have plenty of results to talk about in the Champions League as these groups shake out. Teams qualifying for the knockout round. Some teams seeing their chances of qualifying for the knockout round disappear. And we're also going to talk to Brian Blickenstaff from Vice Sports. Brian, an American writer based in Germany who's been doing excellent work covering soccer and various other things for Vice Sports. He's got a couple of stories that we can talk about. One of them is a couple of weeks old now, but absolutely worth the read. A long-form piece called How to Catch a Match Fixer. Fascinating story. Brian went, in, uh, went, uh, went to a company that specializes in trying to track games that may be manipulated. And it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic stuff. We'll get into that with him. Also, also on the bad side of the game, how 2006 turned into Germany's nightmare summer. The story about the, the corruption, the, the controversy that is exploding right now over Germany's 2006 World Cup bid. That's uh, a, a scandal that's pulled in people like Franz Beckenbauer. So that's on the agenda with those two gentlemen. You're going to want to stick around. Let's do the news and start with the Champions League. Bayern Munich getting revenge for that loss at the Emirates with a 5-1 victory over Arsenal. Arsenal's chances of advancement essentially nil after Olympiacos beat Dynamo Zagreb in that group. Now, uh, David Alaba was fantastic in that game. Caught a couple of minutes of it myself. Bayern Munich is just a juggernaut at this point. There's got to be some German word that means unstoppable force that no one can stop. I mean, that's redundant, but you know what I'm saying. There's a German word for, maybe juggernaut's a German word. I have no idea. Chelsea wins 2-1 over, uh, at Stamford Bridge over Dynamo Kiev. An own goal for Dynamo Kiev and a William free kick. They also helped create that own goal were the difference for Chelsea. The fans there at Stamford Bridge chanting for Jose Mourinho about wanting him to stay, wanting him to be their manager. Very heartwarming situation there at Stamford Bridge. Okay. Porto stay on top of Group G with a 3-1 win on the road against Maccabi Tel Aviv. Barcelona hand- handling Bate Borisov 3 nothing. At home, Roma and Leverkusen played another thriller. Remember, these two teams played a 4-4 match uh, in Germany. This time in Rome. Roma comes out on top 3-2. Zenit St. Petersburg is through to the knockout round after a 2-0 win on the road in France against Lyon. And again, surprises Valencia 1-0 in Spain. Here's the story of the day. and I so- I'm sorry I buried the lead. I thought the Champions League stuff would be first, but I now realize I made a mistake. The lead story today should be that Kareem Benzema has been placed under formal investigation or, depending on 
the headline you read and the words you read and how they're parsing the French uh, justice system charged in the sex tape blackmail case involving Mathieu Valbuena. This is bombshell stuff. Real Madrid forward Kareem Benzema pulled into this investigation, placed under formal judicial investigation in connection with an alleged attempt to blackmail a fellow footballer over a sex tape. Now you think, why, why, would, why would Kareem Benzema be involved in a blackmail case with Matthew Valbuena? What, what, what need does he have to blackmail anybody? The issue here is that uh, Benzema apparently approached Valbuena on behalf of some childhood friends who had the tape. A source close to the investigation told the AFP that Benzema had admitted that while in custody that he had spoken to the player who was alleged target of the sex tape. Quote, Kareem Benzema has admitted speaking to him at the request of a childhood friend who was approached by three blackmailers who were in possession of the sex tape. Benzema said he agreed with his childhood friend. Uh, he, he had agreed with his childhood friend on what he should say so, um, so that his teammate would negotiate exclusively with him. So this is... Um, this is a very interesting story. We'll see how it unravels. This does not confirm wrongdoing on the part of Karim Benzema. But now it, this means the French authorities see that there are, uh, believe there are serious reasons, grounds to continue this investigation and pursue this investigation. The crime of conspiracy to blackmail and participating in a criminal group, group carries a sentence of at least five years. Back here in the States, San Antonio officials are agreed to purchase Toyota Field from San Antonio Scorpions owner Gordon Hartman with an eye on moving into MLS, getting an expansion team in MLS for the city of San Antonio. San Antonio Mayor Ivy Taylor and Bexar County Judge Nelson Wolf confirmed the pending deal at a press conference on Wednesday. City and county officials are expected to pay $18 million for the 8,500-seat stadium pending the approval of the Bexar County Commissioner's Court and San Antonio City Council. They are going to sign a 20-year lease with Spurs Sport and Entertainment, the parent company of the NBA's uh, San Antonio Spurs. And that will give the Spurs the right to operate the stadium and perhaps place their own team in the, sta- in the stadium. We don't know yet what this means for the San Antonio Scorpions. That's still up in the air. And the word is that the Spurs may place a team in the USL rather than continue on in the NASL. The Spurs have agreed to pay Hartman a further $3 million if the city and county are able to complete the purchase. As part of the deal, Spurs Sports Entertainment has promised to pay $5 million to San Antonio and Bexar County if the group is unable to procure an MLS expansion club during that time period. Now, obviously, um, obviously they have to upgrade the stadium. 8,500 seats, not enough for MLS. And uh, with the way MLS is is expanding it's unclear exactly where they're going to go and how many teams they are eventually going to have they did issue a statement MLS did issue a statement basically said we're uh, we're noticing this stuff Belgium has taken over as the number one team in the world in the latest FIFA rankings Germany is number two the United States men's national team has dropped four spots to number 33 Mexico has moved up three spots to number 24 Jurgen Klopp has dismissed the possibility that Steven Gerrard could turn to Liverpool as a player. He said, I spoke with Stevie, one phone call and a few messages. He's a nice guy, I must say. He's a Liverpool, Liverpool legend, of course, but his contract, as I know, is in the USA. I told him, when you are, when you are here, of course, you can come, and come whenever you want. You can train with us if you think that is good for you. Of course, our doors are always open for him, but nothing else. So apparently, 
We will uh, not see Steven Gerrard back in a Liverpool shirt, which is not really the unexpected result of all of this nonsense. Chivas de Guadalajara beat Leon in Mexico 1-0 last night to win the Copa MX. This is the second trophy for Chivas US, or sorry, Chivas de Guadalajara, my bad, in 13 years of ownership under Jorge Vergara. Uh, Europa League today. A couple of matches to highlight. Ruben Kazan versus Liverpool, the aforementioned Liverpool. Ajax versus Fenerbahce. Tottenham versus Anderlecht. Dortmund versus Kabbalah. Sparta Prague versus Schalke. And uh, as you know, there are many, many games in the Europa League. Too many to count. I've got I've got the list up here. Groningen versus Liberec. Asterisk Tripolis versus Apoel Nicosia. Rosenberg versus Lazio. Belenenses versus Basel. It goes on and on and on. All right. Let's, speaking of Europe, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll grab Janis Mahalik. We'll talk Champions League. Arsenal's pretty much done. Bayern Munich is rolling. Manchester City is through. Lots of things happening. Soccer morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. Face in the crowd. Talking too loud But I can't hear you Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning on a Thursday, and we have grabbed one of my favorite soccer people. Color commentator extraordinaire, man who works for many places, uh, Janish Mahalik on the line with us now. Janish, how are you? I am doing well, Jason. How are you? I, I am good. Uh, b- b- before I get into, I mean, I don't expect you to have any insight into the legality situation here, but... And I, I don't want to talk about Champions League, but I, I realized this morning I sort of buried the top story. This thing with Kareem Benzema, this is insane. Uh, yes, I mean, uh, not only the sex tape, but I guess we're looking into some cocaine trafficking now. And oh, again, these Lord. are just reports we don't know for sure, but, you know, when there's smoke, right? Uh, uh, one of those. It is uh, really incredible. Uh, again, I don't have any insight. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how I would have it anyway uh, on that one, but... <laughs> It's just a shame, you know, the way, especially the way he started the season, right? I mean, he was absolutely on fire for Real Madrid, and uh, obviously an injury as well, and all these legal problems now, obviously omitted from the French squad that just came out today, him and Valbuena as well. So, uh, uh, again, what can you say? I mean, a uh, great footballer on the pitch, but there's some big question marks about his character's, uh, character of the pitch. Yeah, I hope that this is, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't, I hope it all resolves itself with uh, with Benzema have, having not done anything wrong. It just it would be sad to see a player of his ability um, be be involved in something so uh, distressing. Obviously, or, or and potentially go to jail, and, not, and he wouldn't be the first footballer to be involved in some of these things. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the Champions League. Uh, Giannis, we um, we obviously had a, 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 a bunch of games yesterday, games on Tuesday as these groups sort of flesh themselves out. We have teams that have now. Moved on to uh, to the group stay or sorry to the knockout round via their their victories in this particular round. Um, I, I'll start with Manchester City because again, this is a, a project, and, and and mostly that means they spent a lot of money to make this team into one of the top clubs in the in, in Europe. They've won Premier League titles there under Sheikh Mansour and CFG. 
they're still in on a quest to win a European title or to become relevant um, in European competition. Are they approaching that at this point? Well, I think I think you, if you look at the situation, at least you got to say they're top of their group, right? I mean, we've we've seen the, the sort of problems they they've had. We've talked about the the newcomers, if you will, the new powers in terms of uh, uh, PSG and Manchester City. PSG struggling a little bit more, not necessarily the way they played, but you know the results against uh, Real Madrid because they were the better team over the two uh, legs. Yet only gained a point in terms of Manchester City. Uh, I think you know considering the fact uh, you know who they're missing. Right. I mean, if you look at uh, uh, Silva and Aguero, I think this is a huge achievement. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, first of all, they won in Spain. Uh, uh, um, I think, you know, I don't know last time they won it, but I think they've lost three straight while they were playing there. You look at Raheem Sterling that, uh, you know, has, what, a four, four out of, I think, four goals in the last five matches in general, but obviously an important one in this one. So uh, I think it's a bonus. Uh, defensively, still some some, uh, some issues. Uh, uh, I saw a stat uh, yesterday. I think they, they haven't had a clean sheet in the last 19 Champions League games, which is significant if you look at Champions League because, uh, you know, as you get deeper into that situation, that's something that I think we've always felt that maybe City aren't not, uh, at their best, be it a Premier League or, or a Champions League. But uh, you you, you got to give them credit. That's a huge result. I don't care that Sevilla has had a diff- difficult start to the season. I mean, if you watch that game, the atmosphere there is uh, I mean, just uh, absolutely incredible. And this is a team that's very attacking minded. Who in the second, especially in the second uh, uh, half of the of any game, if you remember last year, the run in Europa League were just devastating. Uh, and they could sort of you know launch that little bit of a comeback at two one, and yet you know City. Uh, uh, worked through that and and got the third one, which is an important one, if nothing more than psychologically. So I think this is uh, this is very very good for them. There's no reason to look for uh, to look for holes when they're not there, as I mentioned, especially without David Silva and and Kun Aguero. Uh, Manchester City qualifying for the knockout rounds, um, as as have um, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Juventus as well. Uh, and, and, and Juventus is an interesting story within the within Serie A. Giannis, it, it hasn't been an easy start for them. Maybe they've underperformed. I think we all s- at least uh, imagine they would have a step back with some of the changes they've had to make. But uh, f- being able to to, to navigate a, a Champions League group that included uh, that includes Manchester City, that includes. Um, um, sorry, Manchester City, Sevilla, Manchester Yep. So, so obviously Juventus um, still has something there. They're not going to drop off the, the face of the planet as, as a relevant team and defending finalist. Yeah, I mean, thinking, you know, you, we, we so tend to, I mean, we so tend to look at, at teams in the prism of, of the league, how they're doing here or there, you know, Arsenal's another one, right? I mean, we can go, I, I think this is important to them. I mean, because I, I think if you look at Juve, you've got to look at them as a global brand that took a long time to rebuild. And this is just a, a process of it, right? Last year probably came too early. It was it was surprising. It was great that, that they've gotten there. They kind of uh, they've announced themselves uh, on the global stage again, right? After the culture polio, all kinds of problems they've had. Let's not forget they're in Serie B. All that great players leaving them, the Ibras of the world, and others. Some staying like Gigi Buffon, who by the way still looks incredible, right? So I think last year was important, and this year, especially with that start in Serie A, you would have thought no chance, right? Losing Vidal, Tevez, uh, you know. Just couple of the play and, and Pirlo, of course. So, so I think 
you know, you want to give them benefit of the doubt. And, and, you know, to be fair, they did come out of that group, so they're there. The, the form in Syria hasn't been great. They'll make up that ground. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure that, uh, that they can win Syria, but it's not inconceivable because the way the league, is, uh, 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 the league is right now, right? I mean, there's more teams fighting for it. I think in the last couple of years, you just knew that, you know, you was going to run out of it, uh, run with it, uh, uh, maybe one or two other teams are going to take points away from others. I think now it's much deeper. You're talking about four, five, or six teams that are going to be constantly beating each other uh, uh, in the league. So I think it's not inconceivable that Juve could. I'm not saying they will, but it's not inconceivable. So I think you look at Juve as this one, is the continuation of rebuild, uh, and, and Juve once again uh, creeping up, Jason, as as what we knew Juve from years past, right, as that global force. I mean, Juve, Juve for me for years has always been associated with the likes of Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and I think they have that role a little bit, and uh, they're back in it right now, even though it's not uh, uh, perfect. Certainly not, but as you said, yeah, they, they, they've managed to climb back into that, and the stadium um, makes a difference there, and, and we've seen, you know, as Italian football tries to wrestle with where it fits within the European hierarchy, Janish, uh, you know, so much of it is about the economics of the game now, and, and that, that stadium mm-hmm. certainly made a big difference for them. Yeah, I mean, the stadiums, you know, and uh, I think, you know, we, we know it here in our, in our country, right? I mean, how much different stadiums uh, make, and, and they do make a huge uh, difference. Look at Inter, look at Milan. I mean, San Siro is great and all that, but it's old, and it's a, it's certainly not, not an inviting place to go to. Uh, I think uh, Juve has done that, and, uh, you know, all the power to them. And, uh, you know, they, they have a, you know, let's not forget when we talk about economics, uh, they're not great in Serie A with most teams, but, you know, having Fiat and, you know, Fiat Chrysler, wherever they are right now, uh, behind you isn't a bad thing. And this is a company that's thriving right now as well. So I think uh, you are, are taking the right steps in order to, uh, to be, a, you know, a European power for years to come. Let's uh, let's turn down to uh, let, let's talk about Manchester United a little bit. Um, you know, this is Louis Van Hall's uh, project. He's got uh, he, he's obviously brought in some talented players. We know what what Martial can do now. He's become crucial to them, uh, but they're they're still inconsistent. They still go through these droughts, and there's a constant discussion about Wayne Rooney and his fit, despite the obvious fact that he's an all time Manchester United great. Yanish. Uh, who's the all time? I'm sorry, I missed that the last part. The, the Wayne Ro- Wayne Rooney's. Situation where he should play, how how large a figure he is, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, he, how do I put this? I mean, I've never been a huge, you know, Louis van Gaal fan. I mean, I've seen it, in, you know, at Bayern Munich, uh, you know, and 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 I think for me, he's the sort of manager that tries to reinvent the wheel. Uh, I mean, he's been successful at times. You know, if you look at Bayern Munich, you, you know, he's been the one that kind of recognized Alaba as one of those players that can play, uh, you know, not just in the back in the midfield. He's had some success in terms of trophies. Uh, obviously, I, I think you got to give him credit for what he's done for what he's done with uh, uh, with Holland in the last World Cup. But I, I think maybe it was the beginning of the end as well. You know, five in the back in a country that's really known for 4-3-3, uh, that's really known for playing happy and beautiful football, right? It just makes you wonder. Yeah, the end was probably good, but in the scheme of things, I always wonder. And the same thing goes for, for Manchester United. I mean, yes, they have some issue scoring uh, right now. I mean, it's been over 400 minutes there for Rooney even longer, right, in terms of scoring. So I was happy for Rooney because I don't think he's done. I don't think he should be hammered as much as he has been because, again, 
he's a product of, of, of a system, even under uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, that asked him to play many different places, that asked him to be the leader. I think he's shown that a little bit, you know, late in his career. We all know that he's had some issues in terms of that ahead of time. But, um, you know, you, I think you have a deep squad, Jason. I mean, very, very deep squad that, that should be playing more attacking-minded. Mm. And, you know, if this is his way of, of dealing with things... Uh, uh, defensively, which were an issue, and they're better than fair play. If that works out, and the other uh, uh, part of the uh, part of football comes good, which is uh, being more attacking line, it comes good. Then, then I'll give him my apologies. Not that he's going to be waiting for them or anything like that, but uh, I just don't necessarily think that Louis Van Gaal is, is my type of coach. I don't think he's um, uh, Manchester United type of coach. And, you know, time will tell. Uh, all, I, all I know is this is a very deep squad in terms of talent. I really do think that when I look, you know, when I look around, that should be playing a little bit better. But, uh, hey, you know, they're top of their group as well, right? So if we're going to say that Manchester City are accomplishing something, you've got to look at Manchester United uh, saying they're in the thick of things in the Premier League, and they are in the thick of things in, in uh in, in Champions League, and, and we're still saying, or at least I'm saying, that they're not playing well, so God forbid if they start playing well. Yeah, right, absolutely. If you win while you're not playing well, then, then you, you always have that hope that everything's going to click right. and you're, you're going right. to run rampant. They are top of Group B, uh, one point ahead of PSV Eindhoven and, and Wolfsburg at the moment uh, in the Champions League. Uh, Real Madrid and PSG, that's two games, Janish, with one goal, and these are two... Very, uh, you know, very expensive collections of talent. What accounts for sort of the stalemate these two teams played over over two different games? Ooh, uh, I mean, again, <laughs> I'm going to be hammering coaches again. One of those that just makes you wonder with Rafa Benitez. You know, uh, as you know, I you know I have a soft spot for Liverpool, and and when he was there, he certainly had success. I, I just I always thought that maybe he they could have had more success. Uh, you know, I mean, injuries that Real Madrid has had are, aren't insignificant. I mean, should we, should we cry for them? Uh, probably not because they're so deep and we still saw, you know, the sort of names that were out there, right? Uh, but, you know, it does make a difference. We, we often kind of say that, right? Uh, you know, but look at this is Real Madrid. Look at the players. They're two or three deep in every position. So it's not an excuse, but it is an excuse in a way. You know, I mean, if you don't have the Hamas, uh, you know, of the world, if you don't have Benzema, if you don't have Bale, you know, number of players missing throughout the season already for them where you can't find the rhythm or it's difficult to, to find the rhythm. So, so I think, you know, there, there has to be a worry because I think the worry comes of, of you know, how are those attacking-minded players, are gonna, when they're all healthy, going to react to Rafael Benitez, who's very organized, and for him there's no doubt in my mind that defending comes first. Not on surface, you know, everybody will say, well, what's wrong with that? Uh, there isn't, but I think, you know, as a manager, you have to recognize what you have, and you have to play that way. To a degree, what makes Barcelona so special, right? I mean, we can all pick holes in, in, in PK. He's been struggling, and then, uh, uh, you know, all their defenders, or who, you know, in, in, in terms of not being maybe the best that the, the, a team like Barcelona could have. But I think they recognize that they have the Neymars and Suarez of the world, right, and Messi's of the world, and, and that's what's going to get them trophy, and that's what, what's gotten them trophy. Same with Real Madrid, I think. If you look at, the, you know, how top-heavy they are going forward, but look, I mean, if you allow Ronaldo to do what he does best, then, then he'll do that, right? We know now that he's kind of maybe not as happy with, uh, with Benitez as, 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 as it seems. Um, you know, Mourinho has done that to him as well, right? I mean, asking him to defend more. <laughs> 
I don't know. I think Fernando scores goals, Jason. <laughs> the way the way he does, yeah. I I leave him alone. I certainly I, I really would. I mean, other players will do that work for him for as long as he does his job. So, so I think that's a little bit of a worry in terms of uh, uh, PSG. Whew, I mean, you know, when was the last time you seen a team outplay uh, around Madrid at the Bernabeu uh, the way they did? You know. But, you know, we've had some issues with Cavani, haven't we? This is not the same Cavani that we've seen at Napoli, you know, uh, and, and, you know, he, he continues to miss. Uh, uh, Zlatan he hasn't been significant uh, in those two games, and I think he needs to be. He's had some problems. I, I, I think he probably never scored against Real Madrid in his career. I don't know how many games he's played. But uh, they certainly were in a position to, to take the three points at the Bernabeu. They probably were in a position to do that in, in Paris as well, though that game was awful to watch, really. Uh, uh, so uh, are there issues? I would just wait because both of them will move on. And I think, again, when it comes to the business end of the season, uh, you're still talking about these two teams being significant. At the end of the day, Jason, yeah. look, we, we spent 10 minutes talking about this year. You know, it's it's all about uh, Real Madrid, Barcelona, and and, uh, and Bayern Munich. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. that doesn't change. And, yeah. and, yes, it's wonderful to watch these. It's going to be great to see these battles in the quarters and finals, and it's going to be close, and some teams are going to be there or there about. But at the end, you know, I'd be shocked, not, again, not to see one of those three winning it. Yeah, you bring us to Bayern Munich. 5-1 over Arsenal at uh, at, uh, at the Allianz. And, and this is, you know, this has been painted as sort of revenge for what happened at the Emirates. Of course, you know, this is just a professional team with an incredible amount of talent and a, and a notion of exactly how they want to play going out and beating a, another team. I don't know that it has anything to do with revenge, but it does indicate to us just how rampant and how, how, how dominant Bayern, Bayern Munich can be on their day. Yeah, and I, and I didn't think they were all that great in the first half, actually. I mean, they were sloppy great. You know, I think I made a comment on, on Twitter, maybe, uh, meaning that they are a great team, that, but there's so much to them. I thought they were in, you know, I don't know, I don't want to say first gear because, you know, I, I, I want to respect Arsenal fans, but maybe second gear, to be honest. Uh, what happened, no surprise whatsoever. I think everybody knew ahead of this that uh, that this was very, very much possible. And, and this is possible against any team, not just Arsenal, but especially an Arsenal team that that looks uh, looks tired you know we can ask questions why it's so early in the season that that really had so many injuries and and you know it, it's something like this where player you know you're missing already some key players right you get there and then you know that Christian in the last moment player pro- players probably knew maybe the day ahead but you know it weighs on you uh, you know when at the last moment you know some of the, some of the other players aren't that capable it, it's a tall task you know at full strength and and uh um, it just look. I mean, they're devastating because they have a number of players that are capable of scoring. I mean, look what Lewandowski is doing right now. Uh, he's got like seven goals in the last seven games in Champions League. Thomas Muller is just as good, if not better. Some will make the case. Uh, uh, um, seven goals in the last six games just at, the, the, uh, just at home in the Champions League. So you have two players like that. Then you have uh, Ian Robin coming in, not for the first time, by the way, you know, scoring within a minute, of course, uh, 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 you know, of the time that he steps on the pitch. 
but the bottom line was the fullbacks, I think, really. When you have Philip Lam and Alava playing uh, yeah. playing like uh, like they are, it's incredible. Because when you look at that lineup, really, I mean, it was so attacking minded from the get go. They just didn't care what what happens in the back. Uh, I think it was you know with, with Chabi Alonso being the only really holding player there, and you have two fullbacks bombing forward. So really defending with two, maybe three. Uh, I just don't think they never thought they were going to defend. They got that goal, which was wonderful from Lewandowski, and the rest was history. And it, it, it's it's really one of one of those games that that really you forget. If you are Sandenger, he he he's made his case, uh, you know, that they didn't defend well. That this, that, or the other. But uh, on a day like this, sometimes with a team that Arsenal uh, 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 put on the pitch, it was impossible. How are you yeah. going to counter, uh, you know, with, with Oliver Giroud? I mean, it's it's just impossible. You can see that Sanchez is, is paying the price for the number of games he's played. And then after that, you, you really had no pace in that team, right? Ozil, Giroud going forward, I mean... It's just difficult if you're going to sit this this far back. You know, it's it's interesting to to, to when we talk about Arsenal. I mean, this is a, a recurring theme with Arsenal, Giannis, that they always right. seem to be fragile. They always seem to be right. one injury away from co- not collapse. I mean, they're going to beat uh, lesser teams in the Premier League. They're going to be relatively competitive in Europe, but they're not going to be title contenders, and they're certainly not going to be Champions League contenders. Mm-hmm. Are they? Are they? Uh, do you think they're teetering there because of some of the issues that that, that Wenger has with with depth? Certainly, losing Koscielny is a is a blow. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, uh, again, number of injuries. Look, perception is everything. At the end of the day, we'll never know why that is. But people close to that will always say, last year was maybe a little bit better in, in terms of injuries. But over the years, I mean, you know, we're, we're just in November. I mean, and, and you have injuries after injuries. I mean, uh, you know, and it's going to be interesting for me to see what goes forward because I'm not going to call this silver lining. But if you are tired, if you're injured, you know, if they – if they go out of the Champions League, and that's a big if, by the way, because I still think they have a legitimate chance. I really do. Uh, but if they were to go out, they're out of the League Cup. FA Cup and Premier League is the only one. So certainly number of fixtures is not going to be an issue for them, you know, which, which is something that every team at that level can always kind of bring you know, bring at you when things don't go well. So it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, it is mind-boggling why you have so many players injured. And, and I read some articles today about it, and, 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 and you know, and none of them are impact uh, ones. It's all muscle injuries. So, look, I mean, it's a bad luck. It could be, but it seems to be bad luck for a number and number of years. So, again, it's probably the type of players that play for Arsenal, which, which is not always the very physical, strong sort of players. It's always the uh, fast-twitch muscle type of guys you know, that, that are explosive, and I can understand some of that. But, again, you know, we have to bring that back. Some will say it's too easy, but we have to say, uh, uh, look, I mean, there's no reinforcements, right? Tadecek was the only player bought. So... Uh, until they prove it otherwise, we can always go back and, you know, call it whatever you want. If it's the mentality, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, perception is everything. And they are a yo-yo team, you know. Uh, the highs are high and the lows are low. And, and that's, not, that's not what I think of best teams in the world. Because best teams in the world, like Barcelona, like Real Madrid, like Bayern Munich, don't have that. They just don't. It's as simple as that. Uh, let's turn. Uh, let's turn to. Well, I was going to say Arsenal. 
desperately needed um, uh, uh, Dynamo uh, Zagreb to get something out of their match against Olympiacos. That did not happen. So uh, uh, Arsenal very much looking like they're going to go out of the tournament. Uh, a potential to finish in third and go to the Europa League. And I don't know if that's a good thing or not, Janish, mm-hmm. uh, f- especially for them, especially all the issues we just talked about. Uh, I want to turn to Barcelona's clear uh, ahead in, in Group E. They beat Bate yesterday 3 nothing. Roma and Bayer Leverkusen played another thrilling game, 3-2 this time for Roma. Do you have a, a pick there? Who comes out? I mean, uh, the remaining matches are obviously part of this. Um, there's, um, there, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be considerations for, for who plays Bate uh, next uh, to take the lead in, in this race. But who finishes in second place, Roma or Leverkusen? Oh, uh, let me, let me, you know, because I, I actually, you know, so many, let me see, what's uh, Roma in, uh, yeah, Roma's, Roma's ahead now. By a point, yes. Oof, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, Roma has to go to Barcelona, yes, uh, right, right, next game. I mean, but, you know, Barcelona already threw, aren't they? Uh, uh, well, no, they're, are, is Barcelona through Sierra? I'm an expert. Yeah, they're, 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 I, th- I think they will be anyway yes. with 10 points in Roma on five. Uh, yeah. I, I still like to think that, that Roma will go through. They have that, that little bit more quality. You know, they have, they have uh, a Bata at home in the last game, which I think is going to, which is going to be important. Of course, uh, Leverkusen has Barcelona at home. You know, uh, you still have to play the games, but I think Roma has more quality. They'll see it through Leverkusen as we've seen it, being in Bundesliga or, or, or in the Champions League, defensively, just a mess, uh, you know. So, so I'm sticking with Roma here okay. Okay. simply because I think that, that you know that talent uh, will come good. I will mm-hmm. question Rudy Garcia to some degree. I think that, you know it's going to be interesting to see what happens to him within the next uh, month or two, uh, because I'm not all that convinced that he's going to be be able to deal with uh, setbacks if they come, and they will come. Um, so uh, I, I think that, that you know that team is a little bit deeper and should be doing a little bit more. But you know it's a guessing game here. But I you know w- w- when when I'm not 100 percent sure, I usually go with my gut in terms okay. of uh, the quality. And yeah. Roma has to be it. Yeah, and look, Roma, you know, Roma is chasing a scudetto. Uh, they, they 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 put a lot into the notion that they're going to make themselves the best team in Italy. One point back of, of uh, Fiorentina and Inter right now, so they're they're thick in that race as well. And and this is you know as as we've seen with Manchester City, although Roma of course not spending the same kind of money, getting yourself into that that upper echelon where you can compete on both of those fronts, Giannis, that's 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 difficult. You may you may be able to go and chase a title, but that all, that probably means you don't have enough left in the tank to be truly competitive in the Champions League and vice versa. Yeah, the only thing that I, w- I would think is, you know, for me, Champions League is, is, is how, you know, how you massage the first part of it. You know what I mean? So if, if Roma goes through here, you have to remember that in January you can change that. You know, you can, I, I look at it in, in so many ways. You know, my, my best example of it is, is, is often Barcelona. Because if you watch Barcelona, for example, in the first part of the season, they often have injuries like Messi, some key players like Neymar last year. You know, for me, it's just massaging and getting your way in there. And, you know, when you compete with both, say, you know, with, sorry to go off topic a little bit, but uh, it is related. It, when you compete in your domestic league and in the Champions League, you have to kind of account for a loss or two here just as long as you stay within reach because January makes a big difference, not just in signing, but, you know, good teams and smart teams know how to get their players back in time uh, for the big competition. Do, do you understand what I mean by that? Yeah. So mm-hmm. Barcelona has done that. Real Madrid will do that because they're the, and Roma is one of them, I think, because, 
you know, their depth, either now or what's going to be later, is going to dictate what's going to happen in the second part of the season. I mean, we very often look at different teams, not just buying players, but getting healthy players back. And I think right now, you know, the, the first part of Champions League for me, for many teams, is it is about massaging the, their injuries. So you look at Manchester City right now, and, you know, I don't know purposely or not, but I promise you that at some point Pellegrini is saying, okay, we're in a decent position, even before this game. This is a bonus. But we have to understand what Silva and Aguero mean to us in terms of the entire season. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever tempted of bringing a player in a little bit you know, sooner, uh, you know, and, and maybe Francesco Totti is a good example of that because you know he's going to give you that one game or two games that's going to matter, being in Serie A or, or Champions League if they get through, right? Because you know that one free kick, that one corner that, that only he knows how to take may be just it. So you're not looking at him or players like Silva and Aguero in terms of, what have they done throughout the season? Certain players are looked at, uh, you know, when it matters. So I don't know if this is a, a good comparison, but I, I, that's what I think of Roma. Roma is the team t- for me that will change if need be in January. They will go after players that will give them uh, that little extra depth to deal with both competition competitions if they're still in it. Fair enough. Yanis, uh, we have just a, just a minute or so. I, I apologize for getting Absolutely. so deep into this Champions League stuff, and, and I know that you're a keen observer of, of MLS. And I, just, just as you look ahead to these second legs on the weekend uh, in the conference semifinals, certainly the Red Bulls are, are a favorite at home. Montreal mm-hmm. taking a lead to, to Columbus, and then out west, Seattle uh, with a lead as they go to, to FC Dallas, and Vancouver and Portland with uh, no goals in the first leg, which I think, uh, you know, I think ultimately benefits Portland uh, as right. they go to Vancouver. Right. I mean, you know, we're getting a little bit of taste of the Champions League. Nil-nil is not a bad, uh, uh, not a bad score, even if you're a home team, right? And Portland is certainly looking much, much better. You know, I think t- things have changed for Caleb Porter because just a month or two ago, I kind of thought that everything was going sideways and backwards. We're hearing all kinds of rumors about him. And all of a sudden, even though he's playing differently and maybe not true to his philosophy that we've seen in years past, I think this is a team that's kind of, you know, playing well at the right time. So I agree with you. You certainly put some money on on Portland scoring a goal away. So uh, I would anyway. So I like that matchup. Uh, you know, Seattle is, uh, you know, it's been incredible. I mean, speaking of teams that, that are missing some key players throughout the season and even now in terms of injury. So, uh, but I, I'm starting to kind of look at that because I've never given uh, Dallas enough credit. I always right. knew they yeah. were dangerous. I've appreciated, you know, what Oscar, you know, my former teammate has done. I think he's a wonderful, wonderful coach. And we're going to be hearing about him in years to come on many different levels because I think he understands the game better than most in this league, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but, you know, Dallas has always been that sort of team that we said, yes, they can, but they never really do, right? Uh, going home, obviously, that's, you know, 2-1 isn't something that they can't overcome. Uh, I'm just going to be stubborn and stick with Seattle because I picked them to win, uh, to win um, you know, the entire thing. So, again, uh, you know, Dempsey, we've seen what he can do, Oba uh, and, and everybody else. If they get a couple players back for that game, or if they get through here, they're going to be, uh, you know, I'm not sure what's the latest. I haven't checked my apologies, uh, Jason, what's the latest uh, with some of the injured players because that's going to be important. Mm-hmm. But I, I like Seattle, um, Columbus, um, well, I'm going to continue to stay biased. You know, that's my former team, so right. I think they, they can overcome that. But, they, you know, to be honest, they can. One of the few teams that, uh, that play the sort of game that I think, uh, you know, they're capable of, of, of getting past uh, Montreal. 
There you go. Yanis Mihalik, uh, uh as I said, a commentator extraordinaire all over the place. Go follow, his, follow him on Twitter, Yanis Mihalik, uh, especially as the Champions League and MLS playoffs are, uh, are, are interesting. We've got the weekend coming up in Europe as well. Yanis, thank you so much for the time and the insight. I love talking to you. Jason, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. There goes Yanis Mihalik. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We're going to grab Brian Blickett's staff from Vice Sports. We're going to talk to him about match fixing, the corruption, the scandal in Germany over the World Cup 2006. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on Soccer Morning, uh, Thursday edition of the program. Just a, an update. You guys can't see me dance right because I'm dancing to the song, but you can't see me dance because we're not doing video right now. We've got some technical issues, but it's all good because we're on the air and we've grabbed Brian Blickenstaff via the magic of Skype. He is uh, a writer based in Germany for Vice Sports. Brian, how are you? Doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for thanks for coming back. Uh, you got a couple of interesting pieces right now at Vice Sports in the in the realm of, of football, soccer that we should absolutely talk about. Let's start though with the older of the two, uh, a fascinating piece on the the effort to stop match fixing. The companies that work to identify uh, those games that are likely being manipulated. I know you uh, you you sort of went behind the scenes to see how this process works. I'm not sure a lot of fans are aware how much effort goes into this. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fascinating thing. The, the industry is really new, right? It's all based on, on online betting, basically, which, which uh, online live betting for games. And, and that, that industry really has developed over the last five years. And so, so it's kind of a fascinating brand new thing that's, uh, that's going on. And how how exactly does this does this work in terms of the? I mean, are, are we talking about real time response? I mean, are there are are there people giving information to um, a body meant to tackle this issue? And how how does this? Because I mean, obviously, this is a vast soccer world we live in. Yeah. Uh, one, I I find it difficult to imagine that one group or one company or even a couple of companies can really keep an eye on everything that's happening, and then we can actually uh, address these issues when they pop up. Yeah, well, I think uh, certainly not the entire the entire landscape is being covered by these companies right now. It's the 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 scale of sports betting is globally is massive. I mean, I think I think like a pretty middle of the road estimate is that it's a one trillion dollar industry, and to monitor that entire space is pretty impo- is impossible. But um, but this, the company that I focus on in my story is called Sport Radar, and it's I think it has the biggest um, the biggest slice of that of, of that industry um for for any other you know it's got the biggest slice right now and um and what they do is they monitor online betting and and there's uh basically if you look at the odds of a of a game the bookies will set up the odds so so they um so they remain balanced right they want they want the same amount of money coming in on both sides right if for example if arsenal plays stoke they want to make sure that the same amount of money right. comes because, in and the way that they do that yeah. Is that they adjust the odds yeah. um, to make like Arsenal more attractive, so less people uh, put, you know gamble on Arsenal or, or make bets on Arsenal or vice versa. And um, and what this company Sport Radar does is they monitor these odds changes, and if if like an unexpectedly 
a large movement comes in. If if the bookies suddenly move the odds in a, in a way that wasn't expected, then you know that that triggers some warnings, and they investigate to see if if the match is potentially fixed. Right. Uh, you know, bookies aren't betting on the games themselves via their odds. They're essentially trying to just get the the juice, the vig out of out of the the bets right. that they're bringing in. Uh, that's how they make their money. So any any big swing in the odds is obviously indicative of a lot of money going down. On one team or the other, I think one of the right. one of the interesting things about this, Brian, and and what maybe people people sort of gloss over. I mean, we we are soccer fans. We're worldly soccer fans. We're watching the Premier League and the Bundesliga, and some people here at MLS and 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 you know Liga MX and all of these top level competitions that are at least in in usual in most cases paying players a, a significant amount of money or at least a a strong wage. Some places mm-hmm. are better about paying that, but the 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 real action in terms of match fixing, uh, those while well, those games are certainly susceptible as susceptible as as, as any other in in the basic sense. The real the real action seems to happen at these very slow levels. These games that, first of all, you wonder why they're on the board in the, in the first place. And then you know I, I know your example, the story that's being told by uh, by the subject of the piece uh, at Sport Radar is uh, about a, a conference South game just around the corner in London. Right, yeah. Um, if you think about if you think about the the gambling industry online, the you know all these bookies are in competition with one another, and so they they offer matches around the clock because you can gamble twenty four hours a day online. And the way that they that they uh, compete with one another is they try to offer games that other people might not offer. So what you kind of have is a race into obscurity, right? So you have like. Suddenly, you can you can sit at home wherever in New York and bet on on the semi pro match in Australia, which is and the the, the story actually talks about uh, this corruption in the semi pro league in Australia, and or whatever. I mean, I mean, there's there's some some sports that Sport Radar covers, some leagues of sports that I had never even heard of before um, before I started working on this story. So I mean, it's not even just soccer; it's just it's just like a race into obscurity. It's kind of it's kind of wild. You know, um, I, I don't want to. I also want to focus a little bit on, like I said, the 2006 World Cup uh, bidding scandal with Germany. So, so I'll move us on here in a minute. But th- this is another piece of of your story that I think is fascinating, and it's the it's the fact that we want to imagine that when I when sports radar, sport radar, or anybody else identifies match fixing, that that creates a chain of events that eventually leads to people being caught, people uh-huh. being arrested, people being prosecuted, match fixing being dented uh, by this effort and yet here's a co- there are a couple of art- uh, a couple of paragraphs right here in the middle of your piece about this doesn't always happen there's a conflict mm-hmm. of interest for uh, for the federations involved because it do do you open yourself up and say yeah this happened on our watch or do you you know close up shop and protect your brand and then there's I mean this is amazing even in Germany which is uh, this is okay. When leagues and federations do connect sport radar with law enforcement, as the Australian Federation did, it doesn't guarantee us uh, guarantee a successful prosecution. Most nations don't have specific laws in place to deal with match fixing. Even in Germany, the country whose scandal was the impetus for sport radar's security services, match fixing is not illegal. That's that's mind blowing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. But I, I think in in the vast majority of jurisdictions around the world, there's no match fixing itself is not illegal. That doesn't mean that. That people aren't aren't committing the crime when they fix matches because often you have to launder launder that money or you know or you're, you're at least dodging taxes right. Um, but but it makes it difficult for police to to do anything about it because they have to 
Um, they have to figure out, you know, how to how to get probable cause to do wiretaps or, or whatever, whatever their investigation, you know, warrants. And and when when it's all based on based on an activity that everybody basically agrees is fraud, but isn't illegal, it just makes it really challenging to to address um, legally and with law enforcement. So you know, I, I don't know if there's an end game here. This is just going to be an ongoing fight um, for federations for governing bodies for for individual leagues and teams and, and everything else I, I i don't know did you come away from from your visit to sport radar and this piece feeling better about the fight against match fixing or worse that is a great question um i the let's see i i mean i think that that what sport radar is doing is is pretty good there there's a couple i mean it's not a it's not a perfect system by any means but but um i think i think they're 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 certainly having an impact on what's happening but you know the the thing is that 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 the the match fixers aren't idiots right like they they are looking at things like sport radar and trying to figure out ways around them uh in and um Oh man! So back to your question: Is it getting better? I, you know, I don't think it. It's it's so hard to say. I, I one thing that I definitely came away feeling is like horrified by the scale of the whole thing, right? And we're talking about a trillion dollar industry. I think, I think the 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 head of Interpol a couple of years ago estimated that the match fixing industry was worth hundreds of billions of dollars. So I mean. That's 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 way more than the Premier League is worth, for example, right? Yeah, and yeah. and you know, yeah, okay. So so in, people in semi pro leagues are obviously earning less money and easier to corrupt. But but when we're talking about an industry that size, there's nobody there's nobody that's that's outside of 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 you know the realm of possibility when it comes to uh, the suspicion of match fixing. So it's it's kind of a terrifying thing. <laughs> well, that brings me to uh, I'll, I'll present you with the philosophical conundrum that the 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 issue that we 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 deal with so much as as soccer fans. I mean, it, you could say as sports fans because this mm-hmm. it doesn't it, this isn't just about soccer necessarily, but this being the, the the world's most ubiquitous game, it is certainly more rife for this thing. There are more opportunities for match fixers to get involved. How do we watch soccer and put this to the side and and and? allow ourselves to imagine that there's complete integrity in in the game when so much of this is happening it's difficult um you know that's something that that's a point i kind of make at the end of the piece not not to not to give it away or anything but but it's it's like how do you do anything about this problem when it's sort of in the fans best interest to to ignore it because because nobody wants to you know it it ruins the enjoyment of of sports right yeah um so it's difficult, yeah. You kind of just have to it, you have to engage in some willful ignorance, I think. Yep, to, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, to, the, 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 <laughs> you've come to the same conclusion I have. This is uh, this <laughs> is an issue that we have to just pretend when we when we're sitting there watching the game from whistle to whistle, we have to pretend it's not happening because yeah. otherwise the whole thing is ruined. Might as well go play chess in the park for the rest of your life. I mean, because there's there's no there's really no ability to know for sure um, in most yeah. cases. I mean, even the example that you have. There's this video that's included in Brian's piece of Vice Sports. Again, go read the piece. Uh, Kelmsford City and Hayes and Yeting, Yeting United, I don't know, some low-level game in England, and this player, who apparently was never prosecuted or, or, or charged with anything because, again, the laws make it difficult, it, it basically gives up a goal by falling down while taking a free kick in his, in, in his attacking in, in the opponent's half. 
It's amazing. Yeah. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. And he has a chance to go for the ball and waits for the opponent to take the ball, go down the field, and score a goal. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to emphasize that Sports Radar actually didn't didn't have any evidence that they shared with me that he had done anything wrong or, or that that match is even suspicious in their system. And um, and he was never charged with a crime, or and, and nobody presented me with any evidence that that particular guy uh, <laughs> fixed matches. But I mean, like it's it's a wild free kick for it sure, is, and, and you can amazing. see why people would be suspicious about it. Yeah, and exactly. And again, like that. While this one seems obvious to us, now there is this. Uh, we, we've cracked open the game enough, and because if you're aware of, of what match fixing is and how big an, a, a, an industry it is, every time there's a questionable decision by a referee. A player who doesn't seem to give full effort, um, mm-hmm. a, a goalkeeper who somehow accidentally bats the ball into his, into his own net. This is the alarm bells start going off, and again, our enjoyment yeah. of the game takes a step back. It's very troubling the, times. The, All right, go ahead. Yeah, buddy. the problem is that you can't prove a negative, right? Like yes, you can't prove right. that something wasn't fixed. Absolutely, and, um, absolutely. And, and and that's that's the trouble with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's turn down to uh, to a, a more recent story. A couple of days ago, how 2006 turned into Germany's nightmare summer. Uh, this is an unraveling situation. The uh, the the DFB recently had their offices raided. Uh, the off the uh, home offices of Theo Zanziger and Wolfgang Niersbach raided as well uh, by tax authorities in. Um, in a part of the investigation into what happened with the 2006 World Cup bidding, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, Beckenbauer has been pulled into this. There's a there's a slush fund involved. I, I'm a little I'm a little I, I've lost the thread a bit, Brian. So the 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 chain of events and exactly what the wrongdoing was has sort of escaped me. Can you can you catch us up? Yeah, it's very confusing. It's not it's not an easy one to really like figure out. Um, it's very Shakespearean, um, but. Uh, Basically, the, the, the news magazine Der Spiegel, which is sort of like Germany's Time magazine, um, uncovered uh, a off-the-books payment that the German Football Federation made to, um, to FIFA. And um, that payment w- was made in 2005, and it was for a gala that was supposed to take place in Berlin during the 2006 World Cup. But the but gala got canceled, and FIFA never returned the money. And uh, apparently the money was given to a guy named, uh, his last name's Louis, Louis Dreyfus. I can't remember his first name, but he was the CEO of Adidas. And what he had done was give a loan of some sort, or, or he had paid FIFA um, like six, a little over 6 million uh, euros um, for something. And uh, it's, that's the part we don't really know is what it was for. Der Spiegel says that it was to buy votes for the 2000 to, to, to buy votes for the um you know for the for the world cup the, the votes that that were were that led to germany getting the rights to host the world cup right um the dfb says that it was a loan that they had like it was like a solidarity payment that the football federation had to make to fifa for fifa to release a like 150 million euro <laughs> grant that then helped it sounds like it, for the 2006 World Cup. Brian, it sounds like an email scam. Send me 500 bucks, <laughs> yeah, and I'll give you 10,000. They, they conned by a, a Nigerian prince is what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, it's crazy. And the thing is that, like, so so what we don't really know is what what exactly the payment was for. The, the DFB doesn't dispute that it that it was, like, a repayment to the Adidas, the former Adidas CEO, but, but nobody can say exactly what it was for or exactly when they knew about it, and... One of the interesting uh, facts that just came out like yesterday is that uh, Niersbach said that he didn't know about the payment until I think 
he, he his his official response to the, their Spiegel was that he found out about the payment this summer, and um, what the what they found out was that he had signed off on on a on like a bogus tax form or not bogus but you know he had basically lied on a tax form in 2007 so he definitely knew about it um longer than uh than you know he was saying before so he's being you know there's lots of calls in germany of course for him to resign and then um beckenbauer's involvement was that he was the head of the bid committee for the 2006 um world cup and apparently he uh he um signed some promissory note that guaranteed the loan that the Adidas CEO made for the German Federation. Um, so, so he's like, you know, he's like a, a national hero. He's the only person ever to win the world cup as a player and a coach. Right. And, and he's involved in this. And what's also fascinating is there's kind of a cultural wrinkle here, which is that the 2006 world cup is a really important moment in, in, in sort of German society where before that, before that summer, German people were really, uh, it's very taboo to show any what Americans I think would call patriotism um, to wave a German flag uh, or or anything like that was considered very taboo because of the legacy of World War II, obviously. Sure. And um, and during the 2006 World Cup, they call it the summer mission. It's like a which means like the summer fairy tale, and it was kind of this national awakening where people people sort of for the first time felt that that you know they could feel and show pride in in being German. Um, and not worry about it being misconstrued as nationalism. Um, and so what you saw was just kind of like for the first time, young, especially young people were, were, were like openly proud of being German. And, and it's, it's just, it was like a really important uh, cultural moment. Yeah. And, um, and so, so now you've got this, this important moment that, that we're, we're now seeing is based on some kind of fraud. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so that's uh, that's sort of something that's that's uh, difficult to wrestle with. I yeah, think I, I, I imagine, and, and, a, and a generation of, of Germans too, a, a more multicultural Germany than we, than we've ever seen before. Trying uh, trying to to wake up and realize and understand who they are together as a country, mm-hmm. um, and having you know having the, the the national team being a focal point of that, and certainly as you said, the 2006 World Cup and hosting it, and because that's what it is, the big show here. Look at us, we're yeah. doing this thing and that thing. Uh, welcome to our our home, and man, I can't even imagine what ultimately as we wrap this up, uh, Brian. Because again, this is an ongoing situation. Do we have any idea what the fallout could ultimately be? Are we going to see Niersbach and and Swenziger and, and even Beckenbauer facing criminal proceedings over this at all, or or and what happens? You can't take back the 2006 World Cup. I mean, it happened. It's right. done. But what does this mean? And, and again, what does it mean for D, for the DFB and the stand, uh, their standing within UEFA and within FIFA? Well, I mean, it certainly doesn't. It's not good, right? <laughs> um, I think for for Niersbach, Svansiger, Tio Svansiger is retired. He's not. He's not. Uh, he was the former president of the DFB. Um, I think Niersbach has got to resign. I don't. I don't see how he could stay. Um, president of the dfb anymore i i I would imagine that there's going to be some kind of tax fraud case here um at the least i'm not sure that there could be that there's there's um, you know i'm not i'm not i'm not really uh too knowledgeable about the german legal system sure sure sure. i understand but uh i I mean yeah i I can't see that there definitely is going to be some kind of tax issue uh, you know because they didn't pay taxes and um and so so at the very least um i I would say he's going to resign and and that's going to happen but yeah as far as as far as the german um place inside of fifa and uefa that's a tough one we're just gonna have to wait and see i think uh 
Well, it, certainly, we, it certainly isn't. It doesn't bode well. Well, I mean, this, and this is happening in part because of the FIFA scandal. That means we don't exactly know what FIFA is going to look like in a year's time, or what UA, the, how how UEFA's what UEFA is going to look. I mean, is is Infantino going to take uh, take over for Platini? Platini, can he run? Who's going to mm-hmm. be? And whether or not uh, further uh, further revelations of corruption bring down other figures who. Maybe right now think that they're okay and and can go run for office or run for FIFA office and potentially remain on the executive. We don't. We we really don't know, Brian. We we have no yeah. idea. It's it's pretty yeah. pretty amazing it's, it's time. A fascinating time. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Blickenstaff from Vice Sports. Go uh, go check out his work and follow him on Twitter at bk blick. Uh, Brian, fascinating work. Thanks a lot. Great stuff. Yep. Thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure. All right. Let's uh, let's take a, a very quick break and we will come back and we'll open up the phone lines for a little bit and get your thoughts. On a Thursday, Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thanks again, man. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. It is Thursday. The phone lines are open at 646-832-3909. Say that one more time. 646-832-3909. Call in to talk to me about whatever is on your mind on a Soccer Thursday. A couple of things coming out in the American soccer realm that uh, bear mention here. There's a report at the Houston Chronicle that says that Brad Davis is likely to be traded this winter from the Houston Dynamo, and he could be, or likely would be, headed to Sporting Kansas City. I don't think that that's making sense. I don't understand that one. I can't see the entire story because I'm not, uh, I don't subscribe to the online paywall for the Houston Chronicle. This is from uh, Jesus... Sorry, uh, Jose de Jesus Ortiz down there in Houston. That doesn't make a lot of money. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Brad Davis making a lot of cash. He's 33 years old. You see what Sporting Kansas City needs? Very interesting. The other thing is that uh, U.S. soccer has quietly put out rules that say that uh, MLS owned clubs in the USL cannot participate in the 2016 U.S. Open Cup. This is a story at thecup.us, which is your home for everything related to the U.S. Open Cup. MLS-owned USL teams not allowed, to, not allowed in 2016 U.S. Open Cup per USSF policy change. And your lead reads like this. There was no announcement made, but according to a document posted on the U.S. Soccer, Federation, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation website, a policy change has been made that will have a significant effect on the field for the 2016 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. Quote, any, sorry, this is the regulation and the amendment to it. Uh, Any outdoor professional league team that is majority owned by a higher level outdoor professional league team shall be ineligible to participate in in the Open Cup. The Open Cup committee shall review and determine team eligibility annually pursuant to this provision and report its decision to the National Board of Directors. I mean, Sounders 2 out, Portland Timbers 2 out, uh, Orlando City B out, uh, LA Galaxy 2, Los Dos 
out. They're all out. The list is uh, from US, from uh, the Cup.us. Those teams I mentioned, New York Red Bulls too, Real Monarchs, Bethlehem Steel, Swope Park Rangers, both expected to come into USL in 2016 as uh, the second teams of uh, Beth- of uh, Philadelphia Union and um, Sporting Kansas City, respectively. I don't have a problem with this move. I, I really don't. Um, you know, there, I guess you could argue that the additional competition for these players who are supposed to be developing would be good, especially in a knockout realm. Uh, I don't know. Concerns arose last year that reserve teams under MLS control were fielding weakened rosters due in large part to the fact that the senior teams didn't want to cup tie players with the USL team, thus making them unavailable for their own tournament run. One could speculate that it was that that was one of the motivating factors that led to this change. A prime example of this comes from this past tournament's second round match between the Red Bulls 2 and PDL's Jersey Express. All of the players on loan from the Red Bull Senior Club did not dress for the match, and seven players from the team's under-18 and under-16 Development Academy squads were on the game day roster. Two of those Academy players found their way to the starting lineup. The Express won the match one nothing. So essentially, there, there's a conflict of interest here, and uh, U.S. soccer is saying we do not want this conflict of interest involved in our Open Cup tournament. Trevor says he's against this because it makes the U.S. Open Cup less weird. And we all want a very weird U.S. Open Cup. Why wouldn't we want a very weird U.S. Open Cup? All right. Let's go to the phone lines. Remember, um, for the next couple days anyway, there won't be any screening. So you don't get to talk to Trevor. And I have no idea what you want to talk about. 913, you're on the air. Hi. Uh, Alan Swanson from Kansas City. How are you doing, hey, Alan? Uh, oh, go ahead. I said, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Although silly season's already started, and I don't know if you've seen the firestorm about the supposed Brad Davis trade to Sporting Kansas City right now, but it's a hotbed of topic in Kansas City. I just mentioned it a little bit ago. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand why you would take on a 33-year-old like Brad Davis with that salary. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it makes no sense at all, and the fan base cannot stand that individual and it's not just because of getting knocked out of the playoffs twice it's there's been a lot of banter a lot of hand signals to the cauldron a lot of a lot of cussing back and forth he would not be accepted well i i just think it's funny that still the season's not even over and we're already talking about these weird potential transfers that probably will never happen well let's just remember that this is rumor at this point i mean i don't necessarily doubt that jose De Jesus, or, uh, Jesus de Ortiz has sources down there. He's been covering that team for quite some time. Um, he did move off that beat and move over to the baseball beat, so I don't know. Uh, I, I guess he, somebody gave him a tip and he decided to file a report. I, I, I think I think it makes sense if the Dynamo want to move on from Brad Davis in, in some ways, but I'm not. it doesn't make any sense that Sporting would take him on. And, and, and I'll say this about the Dynamo as well. I don't know that Warren Coyle is great for this team. I, I don't know that this is the direction they should be going in. I'm, I'm sort of worried that we're going to start to see a regression from the Dynamo. Not that you would care; you'd be happy about it, Alan. But um, I, I think not gonna, really. No, okay. no, no. All right, go ahead. I, I don't, I don't, I don't ever want to see a team fall apart. As much as I dislike the Dynamo, they were a fun rival, and if they fall apart, then it becomes us playing. I don't know, Philadelphia Union. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean that they're in the east, you're in the west. That's not going to happen anymore. Not as much. But uh yeah, I mean obviously the 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 rivalry between Sporting and Houston is built on 
important games played in the playoffs when they were both Eastern Conference teams. Now they both moved out west, and if the Dynamo take a step back and be, don't and stop being one of the more relevant teams in this league. Then, then yeah, the, the Sporting loses a pretty obvious rival because I'm not sure Sporting has a. There's no natural rival, right? No, we we really don't have a natural rival. I mean, RSL's there kind of, but I mean, if you remember, probably one of the most exciting games this season was the four four game when we were down in Houston. That was yeah. an unbelievable game. Yeah. And if we lose that, I don't, I don't really know who our competition is going to really. I mean, our rivals going to be. Yeah. Speaking of Texas, thanks for the call, Alan. I'm going to let you go. Uh, speaking of Texas, this story out of San Antonio is fascinating for a couple of reasons. Could have some some knock on effects to the um, continued expansion of Major League Soccer. Again, the story is that the city of of San Antonio uh, and the county of uh, Bexar County down there have agreed to purchase Toyota Field the home of the San Antonio Scorpions of the NESL from that club's owner with the notion that Spurs Sports and Entertainment, the owner of the San Antonio Spurs NBA team, will step in, operate the stadium, and run a team in that in that stadium with the goal being, the stated goal being, getting into MLS. Now, how strong of a market for soccer is San Antonio? It seems to have a lot going for it. Is Toyota Field the right place to be? Is its location going to work out ultimately? Do you want to put $50 million into the building to get it up to MLS standards? How does this impact the Sacramento Republic bid? How does this impact some of the other cities that are lurking around the edges as possible MLS expansion candidates? I think there's a lot to be considered here. There are no guarantees. The the mayor down there, whose name is Ivy, by the way. I think I, I don't remember. I don't have it in front of me. Oh, wait. Hold on. I do have the story up here in one of my tabs. Ivy Taylor. That's a hell of a name. It's a good name. We'll see how that goes. The sale sale of Toyota Field marks the latest step in San Antonio's protracted quest to tempt MLS to the city. Hartman expressed interest in bringing the Scorpions to MLS in recent years, but he also underscored the need for further investment to provide the necessary capital. Now, this is also a team that has been on the the sale, uh, has been up for sale for quite some time. In fact, Gordon Hartman reached out to uh, a third party to help broker a sale. So he uh, he was already moving forward. They have apparently the right now the San Antonio Scorpions have two players under contract, just fired their head coach as soon as the season ended, and, and look for all the world like they may not be around in 2015. If, if uh, Spurs Sport and Entertainment launch a team, uh, most, uh, most of the conventional wisdom is that they're going to move into USL. There's a lot of reasons for that. A lot of it is the fact that that's a lower cost league for them uh, while they work towards MLS. Uh, they can still, if you look at Sacramento, if you look at Orlando previously, you can still get some um, in- excitement going for a team in USL and, and make your case for MLS that way. How does this impact NASL if the Scorpions are done? If Gordon Hartman is basically cashing out here? And again, I- I- the story about Gordon Hartman is interesting soccer guy, I mean, interested in soccer, putting the team together, but his goal was never profit for the sake of profit. He was always trying to make money to help fund some of his charitable, uh, charitable efforts. There's a, he's, he's got a, a, a theme park, an amusement park for children with developmental disabilities, um, with handicaps. And that's, that's, that was always his focus. So it, it's very interesting to see where this is going to go from an NESL perspective and I know we're working we're working on Commissioner Bill Peterson because 
if I'm not mistaken, the reports are out there, and Bill may have said it himself, that they're getting ready to announce another expansion team, possibly two. Yesterday on SiriusXM, we talked to Neil Morris from down in South Carolina, sorry, North Carolina, who covers the Railhawks and has his ear to the ground on NASL matters, and he says there's probably a team being the team being announced is one in the Midwest. That's not St. Louis. It's not Chicago. That means it's Detroit. So Detroit's coming. Neil did not want to commit to that, but that's all signs point to Detroit NASL coming. There's also rumors, very strong ones, that the, that Chicago will have a team, the Chicago Sting. So they'll they're going to try to battle MLS right there in that market. And we have Celtic involved in something, and that may be one of the announcements as well. In fact, what Bill Peterson said was a major European club is involved. That leads us to believe that it's Celtic. Maybe that's Celtic in Detroit. I don't know. Maybe it's two different teams. I don't know. But it seems that every time NASL takes a step forward, they get dinged by a team dropping off. Whether it's they're going to lose Minnesota United when that team moves to MLS. They're going to lose the Atlanta Silverbacks, who may not have survived anyway, but certainly are going, not going to be able to survive in a market with an MLS team. Now they're going to lose the San Antonio Scorpions. So they're going once you know two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. It's very, very interesting times. All right, let me. Uh, I I put the phone lines away. My fault. Let's go to the last caller of the day. Four one seven. You're on the air. Hey, good evening, Jason. This is Sal speaking from Springfield. What's going on? Oh, not so much. Just want to talk about your subject just a moment ago about um, San Antonio, and I've always believed that they should have been the twenty fourth team in the league instead of Miami. Okay. I just think, because I really believe that, you know, the way how they got it set up and everything, the San Antonio Spurs buying part of the team and everything else, they're finan- They're ready. You know, they have their soccer stadium. They probably have to put, put an extra 50 to $60 million and everything else to put new stands on the stadium and everything. And it seems as though that every time the NASL makes two steps forward, and everything, and he takes two steps forward backwards with the announcement that possibly that the um, San Antonio team may move down to USL. So, you know, if I'm surprised Bill Peterson hasn't looked in for investors, you know, in cities like, say, like San Diego, which might lose the Chargers and everything else. Um, I think San Diego is, is, is in there somewhere. In fact, I saw San Diego referenced recently, and I can't remember by who or for what reason. Um, uh, but it, uh, it, it, look, San Diego is going to be in play. St. Louis is going to be in play. Um, you know, obviously we, we, we imagine, we, we think that something's happening in Oklahoma city, but it's not clear what, even though they already went there once and tried. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there, there are some opportunities here, uh, that we haven't seen exploited yet. You mean in ASL? Yes. St. Louis didn't know that. Well, I mean, it's possible. I'm not saying it's a definite. And I know I know MLS would like to be in St. Louis at some point, and and people oh, in St. Yeah, Louis definitely. people in St. Louis would like MLS to come to town. It's just a matter of working out where they play and who's who's owning the team. And, and right now, I don't I don't see a an obvious ownership candidate in St. Louis. They're too busy trying to keep the Rams in St. Louis right now. Sure. That's the main focus. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. You got anything else before I let you go? That's all. All right. Appreciate the phone call. It's a good way to end a Thursday. Uh, episode of Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Make sure you go follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. We have uh, just announced that uh, Giovanni Savarisi will join us on the SiriusXM show. 
that kicks off in less than an hour. If you have SiriusXM, make sure you tune in to Channel 85 between 11 o'clock a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern time to listen to me babble on about more American soccer topics. Fantastic time. We take a lot of calls. Always good stuff. All right. Is that it? I think that's it. We'll, uh, we'll catch you guys tomorrow. Big Friday edition of the program. Looking ahead to a weekend that includes second leg of MLS Cup playoffs, uh, return of, of European uh, leagues, lots more. Soccer morning. See you then. Bye. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart on every curse.